Welcome to another episode of Relentlessly Resilient, where real people share real-life experiences and the tools they've developed to move forward and live their best life. I'm Jenny Taylor. And I'm Michelle Scharf. Today we have with us Jennifer Summers, who is a friend of mine, married to Stan Summers. Who, From last week. Who is episode aired last week. He is a Box Elder County Commissioner. So I know them through politics, but I have a tender place in my heart, and I have gotten to know not just Dan, but Jennifer, his wife, and their son, Talon, and they have some amazing struggles and trials that are unique to them. And so um, I've asked Jennifer to come on and, and talk to us about rare disease. Welcome, Jennifer, to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I appreciate that. So tell us, what is rare disease? So I will say rare disease and disorders so that it can be categorized either way. Because sometimes when you're rare, you don't know if it's a disease or a disorder from being genetic or autoimmune. There's okay. a difference there. Okay. So sometimes you never do find out what your rare disease is. And that is the sucky part of life. Because you can only get tested so much. You can only go so many places and get so many answers. And sometimes it just ends up where you have to just treat the symptoms until it pronounces itself more. Genetic testing, we personally have had that done. And just recently we were going to have someone decode it for us and found out that the company that did it for us decided to just throw them away. Oh, no. So now we are in the process of trying to get retested. But in order to do that, that is a lot of money. And you have to have insurance. Well, you don't have to have insurance to do it. But it's a lot better if your insurance can pay for it. Right. So we are in the process of trying to get that done. Wow. I was actually introduced to the rare disease world when my son broke his back when he was about 15, 16 years old playing football for high school. And a little bit before that, he was a little bit sick, but we didn't know what it was. And we started on a journey of a broken back, which snowballed a disease. One thing about disease is when you have a trauma happen to your body, it actually pronounces itself. You can have it for a long time, but you don't know you have it until you have a traumatic experience with body injury or a sickness brings it on. And in Tom's case, he had the broken back. Anyway, we were going everywhere trying to find his disease. We went to the Mayo Clinic. We went to the NIH. We went to the U of U. We've been to a lot of places. When he had his pain pump, placed in his side, that is when we found out he was starting to turn hard. His tissues were bad, the doctor found. So I came home and I started going after all of his labs and everything, trying to piece it together. Why he was doing this, one thing about rare disease is you have to research yourself. Your doctors don't have time to do the research. So you do research and then you take it to your doctor's you then have them either confirm it or they run more tests to find it. 
in our case, I was able to research and find that he had IgG4. It is just part of our immune system, and it's a cell that overreacts. So we found that. Then we tried some treatments, and it didn't work. And so he kind of chose after so much testing, he was done. He, he just was like, I'm, I'm done with testing. And after now, I've become rare. I can understand why he has chose that. It's very wearing and very frustrating and so drug out that you you get sick of the testing and not being able to find what's wrong. We do know that Talon is still not fully diagnosed. He's had things pronounced in his body since we diagnosed him with the IgG4. And then when I decided to become rare, I want to say a year ago is when it really started to pronounce. But I think it has been with me for a long time, and I just didn't know the signs. I'm actually going to get Talon to go to one of my immunoderm doctors because if he has something that I gave him, more likely I'm the one that gave that to him. We do know in our genetic testing that I passed a bad X to him, but we don't know what that bad X is doing. So that's why I found someone in the rare disease world that will decode our genetics. So when Tom became rare, I had noticed that there was a group of ladies from Salt Lake City on the news that were doing a rare disease day at the state capitol. So I did all of my work trying to contact these ladies and find out, oh, my heck, I have a support system. What can I do to get involved? Because I need help. If it was not for Gina Zanuck and Christina Might, I would be lost in this rare disease disorder world. They had a, a great thing going. They had what was called Utah Rare they held it down for five years. We had symposiums. I started helping with that. And in the process, I met doctors that dealt with rare stuff at the University of Utah. So that's how I got Talon to the right doctors, what well, we think anyway, and his diagnosis. Then in 2017, I had a bad tooth. And it was in the back of my mouth. And I knew that my mouth did not deaden very well. So I went to the oral surgeon. It was right after Thanksgiving. I went through Thanksgiving with a really bad toothache. And I was like, this is a back tooth. I just want it pulled. So I had made this appointment and was planning on having it pulled. When I got there, the doctor was like, you know what? It's a savable tooth. You just need to go across the street to my friend um, at the Desert Canals and save this tooth. And I'm like, really? I don't want to. Can we just, I, my mouth does not deaden. And I, so right then, of course, I was frantic. My anxiety kicked in and I decided, okay, whatever. We went across the street and I didn't get home till eight o'clock that night. I had a friend with me and within four hours, my mouth, had swollen up to the size of a baseball on that side. And I remember I that. Ended up, it was horrible. It was, it was very horrible. horrible. It had to be frightening went, for you. 
it was so scary. It was so scary. I just thought, okay, when you have a root canal, your mouth swells. So I thought it was okay until it started getting huge. And I texted a picture of it to my dentist assistant here. And she's like, oh, my gosh, Jennifer, get to the ER now. And I went, oh, I guess it is bad. So I go and they start giving me antibiotic because they figure I have an infection. So by morning, my eye was closed shut and my whole side of my face was just huge. So I had Stan take me to the ER in Logan where my doctor was that was supposed to pull my tooth. He was in the ER that day. So I'm just going to have him pull my tooth now. Well, I got there and he drained off a ton of yuck out of my mouth and said, no, we're not pulling your tooth. We'll just put a drain in and we'll pull your tooth later if we need to. So by the time the night came, I went back to the ER in my town to get my antibiotics. And they came in and said, we are admitting you. And I went, say what again? (laughs) So I was very sick and did not realize I was going septic. And that is where all of my stuff snowballed was a traumatic injury. I ended up having infection in two teeth instead of just one. And I was released the next morning after heavy, heavy antibiotics. Went to Ogden and had a doctor pull it down there, pull them. And I remember him walking in the room saying, oh, my gosh, do you know how lucky you are? You are not in the ICU right now. And I had, I mean, I was so sick I had no idea. What they did when they did the root canal was obviously I had infection in my tooth. And when they drilled the hole, it punctured into my sinuses. And then it caused a superbug. It was so just one had, event after another. Say, I remember you can't that. make this stuff up. No, I know. Okay, hold on a second, Jen. We're going to take a break for a minute. Okay. And when we come back, I'm going to ask you a few questions. The rare world is completely foreign to me. I fortunately, you know, knock on wood to this point, do not have anyone in my close circle or my family where I've had to deal with this. So it's breaking my heart and wearing me out to hear what you and your son and your family have faced. Let's take a quick break and come back. And then I'm going to ask you a couple questions and then have you continue this journey that you've been on with both your son and your own health, because this is just terrible. Mm -hmm. We'll be right back. Okay, so Jen, you're talking about rare, and it it feels like that's the terminology you'll use for rare disease, rare disorder, and you call it the rare world. So you're you're rare, talent is rare. Um, Unfortunately, it sounds like there are a lot of people out there who are rare. Let's see if I've got this understanding correct. Is it a rare disease or disorder if it's simply something that just doesn't fit the mold of something identifiable? You can have all these tests and all these things. You've got symptoms. Is it rare if the doctors just don't know what it is or if it's something so unique that it's very unusual? Is, is that a fair understanding of the rare world or help me out here? Yes, that's correct. Okay, so in Talon's case, he got a diagnosis that is incredibly rare, but you said he's not fully diagnosed. There's still other components or symptoms or things that still just kind of float out there as not really pinpointable. Is that also, am I getting this? Am I learning? Yep. Yes. Okay, yep. so yep. then the part that you've explained to us is 
astounding to me, and I would not have thought of this. I would think if you have this rare disease, you're born with it. You're going to have this rare disease. You know, we we all unfortunately know of children who maybe come into this world with really rare, devastating conditions that are with them from the beginning. But it sounds like for both you and Talon, we don't know exactly how long you've had or not had this rare disorder or condition, but you discovered it when your body went through a physical trauma. In the case of your son, it was when he broke his back. That almost like unleashed Pandora's box of all of these other problems. And for you, it was a a tooth extraction. I mean, what should have just been a simple trip to the dentist snowballed into you going septic and barely staying out of the ICU. Like, am I understanding this correctly? Yes. Wow. So how long ago, tell us what year or how many years ago did Talon have that broken back? He broke his back in 2007. Okay, so that's been, I mean, you're coming up on 15 years. Mm -hmm. And then how long for you was that quick tooth incident that just turned literally almost deadly? 2017. And I've had lots of different symptoms since then, but it just literally started hitting hard about a year ago. And through the whole process of that, my digestive started going crazy. Um, Another thing that I noticed was neurologically, I would be in the middle of a conversation and just start slurring my speech. And then I would just, I don't know if I pass out, if I have a seizure, or if I just go to sleep. This is part of the rare that we don't understand and what am I doing. Um, I will just be in a conversation and just start slurring. And then just, boom, it can be seconds that I'm out. It can be minutes. It can be 20 minutes. And then I wake up and I'm like, what just happened? I literally do not recall what happened. And that's got to be so frightening for anyone who's with you because I... I know you were friends. I've been to your home. I visited with you in Talon. I've been to events with you in Stan. And from what I've seen, you're you're healthy, you're beautiful, you're upright, you're doing great. <laughs> Again, I think sometimes in our minds we picture this rare person, this chronic condition where they're, in they're bed, bedridden or something. Or in hospitalized. And yours or, yeah. can just come and hit you so suddenly. Tell us, what about your daughter and Stan? Have they, to this point, exhibited any conditions with rare or is it does it seem to be more you and Talon as far as you know to this point I see some signs in my daughter and she grew up watching her brother be sick and so she has just vowed she is fine she mm. is not going to be sick that's an interesting <laughs> she's not dynamic. going to have anything wrong with her <laughs> yeah. and um, when we have actually asked her to DNA tested with us she refuses and in a way I don't blame her sure. you know I I think sometimes you just think I don't want to know yeah I don't leave me out of this my, my worry yeah my worry is what did I pass on to my children that will skip the generation and then affect their families down the road yeah. so that is my main focus of trying to find out what we do have and make sure that it is not genetically, that is something we need to watch for in her children. Of course, she is the only one that can give us grandkids, and how thankful I am for that. And we're on a third little grand boy coming in January. But I, I have exhibited some symptoms that she 
has that I sit and wonder and would really like to have her tested. But to this point right now, she kind of refuses. So I'm hoping that it's just maybe allergies or something. Sure. You want to explain it away. Not have anything. What about <laughs> yes, what but, about your siblings or your parents? Do you see anything genetically that came to you as you've seen it pass through you? Have, can you identify anything in some of your family line going back the other way? In my father's side, uh, my father has got a few things that I wonder, um, you know, if I have gotten some things from him. Part of my rare is an eosinophil problem, and that has to do with allergy. My my dad has a lot of allergy things. He does have some kind of blood thing going on with him where he bruises really easily. His line has a few family members with some quirky things. My aunt on my dad's side has a son that has a rare, it's called ehlers downlos but I think he's not fully diagnosed either. So there's something there. But on my mother, I think she has something that has passed to me also. But neither one of them have ever been tested, and I can't get them to get tested. So it well, lies thinking, in my lap to yeah, try and find it. I'm thinking the generational difference, too. I mean, between your parents, you and Stan, your children, and then your grandchildren, I imagine the science and medicine are clearly more advanced now than they would have been. Your dad might have thought it was just allergies. And that might have been all that, you know, medicine at the time might have said, yeah, you just have allergies. It just is what it is. And yet we know that with cutting technology and and medical advancements, like you said, these genetic tests are possible, but they're they're expensive. They're difficult. It's not something you just do a drive-by clinic and get this done. And then to make sense of them is more testing and more money and more numbers. So just so complicated to think of the genetic likelihood that you would have to suffer this over and over. Can you tell us a little more about your journey since your tooth? I know that the tooth was a few years ago, and like you said, it's really hit hard this past year. Can you walk us through this past year and and maybe paint more of how this rare has manifested itself in your body? Yes. So uh, about a year ago from now, I noticed I was not able to eat very well, and I realized by the time Christmas came that I was only eating chicken and the biscuit crackers. That's the only thing I could eat and get down, and I couldn't explain why. I couldn't figure out why I couldn't eat and why I was, my stomach would bloat to where I looked like I was six months pregnant. It literally, I just, I'm like, what in the world is going on with me? And... I had a doctor, a hematologist oncologist that I go to, and he started doing more testing and sending me to places where I needed to be. Also, when I got my referral to get a stomach scope, I just had one around here in this area, and they found I had an eosinophilic esophagitis, which makes your esophagus constrict, and sometimes it actually just compacts your food and so it builds up in your esophagus and does not go down oh until goodness. either you throw up or it just will go into the stomach and just like sit. you're choking it yeah. all the way down yes makes you very very sick and I had a hard time getting things down um I was choking and I didn't know why 
I don't know why I didn't think because my son Talon's got the same thing. So I, of course, didn't think that was happening to me. Anyhow, I did the scope, found that they sent me to the doctor that we took Talon to down at the U that actually researches this called EOE, eosinophilic esophagitis, and sometimes it can go systemic. So we're wondering if I am systemic with the eosinophils. And eosinophil, I'm going to get kind of complicated, but I'll make it quick and short. Your eosinophils is part of one of the cells in your white blood count. So when you go to the doctor and they say, oh, you've got an infection, or let's see if you have appendicitis, they check your white blood count. There are seven different cells in that blood cell, and one of those is called eosinophils, and it's an allergy cell. So you could be allergic to these foods that you're swallowing and can make you have this problem, and that may be why you have the EOE. In my case, that's not my case. You can have it for other reasons. It can come along with a disease. So we're thinking mine has come along with a disease. Anyhow, January came, found all that out. I went to my digestive doctor at BU, and February came, and my family and I ended up with COVID. And we all pronounce differently with COVID. Mine seemed to attack my digestive tract worse than it was happening. And now they believe that COVID pretty much did the rest of the injury to my digestive system, shutting it down. I'm not completely shut down, but I have what's called gastroparesis all the way through my digestive tract, which means that your digestive tract has become paralyzed and it doesn't do the motion of digesting the food and moving it all the way through. I have to be on motility drugs to make things move through and it's really not fun. I ended up with a feeding tube about three weeks after I recovered from COVID, and I've had a feeding tube since. You are supposed to only have one feeding tube every six months just because they have to redo them every six months because they can cause problems if you don't. I have had eight feeding tubes Jen. in eight months. Oh, my gosh. I either it doesn't work or we changed it to a low profile so I didn't have this big long tube sticking out of my belly then that ended up not working and it's just been a nightmare I have to be knocked out every time I have it done we found my stomach so I started with a G tube which is a gastric tube goes right into your stomach well that was when they actually implanted it in my stomach When I first started, I started with an NJ tube, which was through the nose, and they fished it down into my small intestine, which is called your jejunum. And when they went and redid it to put it in my abdomen, they put it into my stomach, which was called a G-tube. So I had that for a while, and that ended up not working. So we went to a GJ tube, which is what I have now. And it's a gastric tube that goes into your stomach. And then there's another tube attached inside of that that is fished down into my small intestine that is your jejunum. That's why it's called a GJ. Um, Right now we are waiting to see if I can get a direct J tube because 
in my stomach right now is just not working out. The reason we've had to change it a few times is because that tube they've put down into my stomach through into my small intestine, that tube gets so much pressure, it flips that tube back up into my stomach. So when I'm pumping my formula, it's just circulating and not moving very well. So then we have to go back in and have them place it back down into the J, the jejunum, the small intestine, which has just been a living nightmare, to tell you the truth. Feeding tubes have been a whole new jargon for me, something that I've had to learn on my own. Doctors just don't explain this to you. You learn this all on your own. And I have had two friends with daughters that have had feeding tubes, and I've had to learn all of my whatever I do to my tube, my feedings, everything through my two friends' daughters. And it's been very trying, and I still don't understand how it all works. I have to pump formula in me 24-7. Sometimes people with feeding tubes can just hang a bag of formula during the night and they feed just by gravity. My digestive tract doesn't allow that. I have to have a pump that actually pumps in a certain amount of cc's an hour. Well, and, um, and they want a lot of that's because you've lost so much weight trying to figure this out and your colon's basically just paralyzed so it's not doing the function to really absorb all this, right? That's what you're right. saying. Yes. So, it's been really difficult to explain to my family and I know Stan understands but he doesn't understand and it's so hard to try and explain what's happening in your body to someone when it's almost like it has to happen to you to know what I'm talking about but so the crazy thing about this is that it just started for you like you've been fine you've been healthy but you've been a caregiver for your son for a very 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 long time and that takes yes. a physical and emotional toll on, on a person. And then you had the situation with the teeth. You've had other back issues, other things. And then this started to boil down. I feel terrible about it because I actually brought you dinner to help you out. And I'm the one that I think, <laughs> if it wasn't me, it was the person I was with. It stands bl- blaming Brett on it, by the way. <laughs> we'll, we'll go with that. I brought you COVID or Brett did. And... um. Regardless, we all ended up with it at the same time. I know we can't really say who brought it to who because the reality is Stan was busy and is in politics and had meetings and other things and and was still being able to to have those meetings. And so who knows what really happened. But I feel terrible because here I am trying to support you guys and help you. And then it ends up just being a, a nightmare. And I feel terrible learning about oh my gosh, this might have really triggered your body to have this immune response that has sent you on another path. And it's just awful. (laughs) Don't mean to laugh. It's not funny. To be honest, I'm glad that we had it so that we have it over with and we have those antibodies. I mean, obviously we can all get it again, but I don't blame you. I don't blame anybody. It is something that's out there, and it's bound to happen anyway. I know. It just is rough when you're trying to serve somebody, and then you're you're (laughs) like, did I 
create a bigger problem. It's now I'm afraid to bring you anything and I miss seeing you. Michelle's never going to visit again. <laughs> you know, it's funny as we ran into each other at Harmon's the other day and Aww. I was just like grabbing her and hugging her because it's been so long and I have yeah. been afraid to see her. And it's like you just you don't I want to be able to serve you. I don't want to bring you more problems. <laughs> we need to take a break. But you when we come when we we really do need to take a break. But when we come back, let's talk about how you've been able to persevere through all of this. You really do have a great attitude and and let's talk about that when we come back from our break. And we're talking with Jennifer Summers and rare disease and her, her struggles and the crazy body breakdown that on top of COVID, she ends up having an autoimmune response and then now has essentially a paralyzed intestine, which, of course, we all need in order to process and break down food and nutrients. She has withered away. I have watched her just um, you were never a, a big lady anyway, but you're tiny now. And um, and it's just been difficult to actually watch this for you. Being your friend, having all this love for you, is it's really has been a hard thing to watch. But I want to hear from you on what resilience means to you, and how you've been able to keep a positive attitude in light of these really horrific challenges that your family has faced, not just for a few years, but for over fifteen years. You know, when you told me to look up resilience, I'm like, hmm, am I really resilient or do I just do? Like, you have no choice and you have to push forward. And I guess you can say it's resilience, but I just look at it as I, I'm a mother and I will not quit fighting for my family, for my child, for myself, one thing I have learned is that you have to advocate and you have to stand your ground. You have to find boundaries and you have to realize that you are sick, your child is sick, and you just have to take care of you and the situation. And everything else is just fluff. It's been hard um, as I watch Stan being able to go and have a social life. And as his wife, I'm supposed to be there by his side and help support him. And I can't always be there because I have to take care of my health and my son's health. And on top of that, I feel like I should be this grandma that goes and gets my grandkids and takes them and does fun things and tell my daughter, oh, go have a break. I'm going to take your kids. We're going to go do something. And especially right now where she's pregnant and I should be able to be able to get those kids and take them. And I can't. And having to realize that I have to give myself limits. And I also feel like that it's important to find something that helps take your mind off of your situation. Rather that be 
going on a date night and just don't talk about anything that has to do with our health. What's going on, you know, in the world or what? Go have some fun and laugh and just forget about the medical world for a while because sometimes you just have to let that go. Also, I have crafts that I love to do. I like to sew things that keep my mind off of making me sick. One of the things I have a hard time with is I love to serve people and I have had to learn how to be the recipient instead of the giver. That is one of the hardest things that I find you have to accept. But I don't want to deny the blessings of other people because when I feel like I'm serving somebody, I'm happy. I feel like I am helping that person out. And I have to remember that when somebody's doing that for me, that's the same thing that they're feeling And I've had to accept the recipient part. And and I'm okay with that. I'm okay. I'm, you know, when people will say, what can I do for you? I think, you know, what really can you do for me? Because I can't eat. (laughs) I can't. I can eat, but I can't. You can't fix my medical problems. And there's not really anything they can do. So I usually just say, you can pray for us because, get through our day and and literally it is getting through that minute sometimes it's that five minutes or that hour or that day you two can attest with that um trials trials suck but they make us stronger and i've found that i have really learned how to stick up for myself being sick and advocating for my son i'm still learning how to advocate for myself with my doctors and family and friends and setting boundaries everywhere because when you I, I won't lie it's not all positive um, absolutely no I've this is in, hard work I've I've been in dark places with this whole thing this past year um, it's hard enough seeing your son suffer but when you are the one that's now sick and suffering you are going through emotional mental physical trying to figure out how to take care of your family when you're the mother and the wife and trying to like i i love to cook and i've stopped cooking because one i'm kind of being fed all the time and i forget two food makes me sick and it makes me mad I can't eat it. <laughs> but I i mean, I do eat a little bit. I have to be careful with what I do eat. But I find that I'm happier when, what did I used to love to do before I got sick? Oh, they cooking is one. So when I am cooking, I find myself in a happier mood and trying to get through my day. I do have to plan that out, though, because my body is so tired that, I apparently fool a lot of people. (laughs) So you get told, oh, you look amazing. You're up and you're moving. What they don't know is how bad I'm hurting and how sick I really am and how bad I want to eat when I'm out to those dinners with Stan. And I try to be the most, you know, normal as I can when I go out because I'm 
definitely not in a normal zone right now. That is just um, so challenging. But I heard a lot of steps of resiliency in, in your response. You said that you're a mother and that has made you want to be a fighter and a survivor and an advocate for your son. Now you're learning how to advocate for yourself and that you have used a technique of breaking things down into smaller pieces to handle what needs to be done and let the rest go and yeah. to not feel sorry for yourself. And that's really important. You definitely have every, nobody would fault you for having a pity party. And, you know, the fact that you don't want to stay there, even when you've had those dark moments, is a testament to your resiliency that you want to take the next step and move forward. And I love the fact that you have some coping techniques, that you have a date night, you focus on living and being present in the moment rather than um, focusing on the illness and the trials that you're, you're currently dealing with. And um, I love that you're honest about how these trials suck. Yeah. <laughs> because love- it's you got to be honest, right? I love that you're able to yeah. say you've you've learned to set up limits or boundaries. And I think sometimes those boundaries have to start with ourselves. We have to be honest that we have limits and, and then communicating that with other people. I, I think it's touching that you mentioned that even Stan doesn't really know what you're going through. Of course, he loves you. Of course, his heart hurts for you in this, but he hasn't actually walked the same path. And that's something that is hard for you know, when we're on the outside of a trial, we look in and we just want to help, but we don't always know how to help. And I appreciate, Jen, that you say, you know, sometimes we can't help solve the problem or fix the situation, but we can pray for each other. We can love each other. We can be there for each other. And, and maybe that's all we can do. Everything you're saying about being an advocate, Michelle, it makes me think back to when we interviewed Amy Winder Newton and she needed to advocate for her young child because oh, yeah. the doctor's didn't think or believe or find the same thing she was seeing and trusting that mother's intuition. And I can't imagine, you know, the mama bear kicks in and so you're going to advocate for your child. But Jen, you're facing a whole new level of being the mom who's used to taking care of everyone. And now you've got to advocate for yourself. That feels like a whole new level of difficulty. Um, I know what you mean when you say it's harder to be on the receiving end than the giving end. And yet I love how aware you are that you're letting other people bless, not just your life, but be blessed in their own lives by helping you. And so you're just a wonderful, gracious person who could very easily, like Michelle said, have a pity party and, and hole up in your own world and, and lock the rest of us out. And yet you are, you are kind, you are gracious, you put forth your best effort and and do your best to be there for your husband, for your daughter, for your son and your grandkids. And you your community. are amazing. Yeah. You're doing you're doing so many wonderful things. Please know that we love you. Our prayers are with you. We're so sorry that this sucks so bad and that you have to do this. Thank but you. we we hope you know you're not in this alone, even though it's your physical battle. Um, you know, people like Michelle and me representing hundreds of others who love and support you that would take this away in a heartbeat if we could, but we just, we're here with you and your example of resilience, I know has kind of slapped me in the face a little bit. Like, okay, what am I whining about? I can, I can do a little better. I can lean on your example. I can learn from you and I can try a little harder to, to do what you said to say, I'm going to take care of what I can take care of. And then sometimes I just have no choice. I'm going to push forward. I love how you said that's what resilience really is. Well, nobody asked if I wanted to do this. I don't want to do any of this. 
I guess I'm going to do it anyway. Jen, we love you. Yeah. Thank Absolutely. you. I, I just, I, I think of when life puts you in tough situations, you don't say, why me? You say, try me. Oh, I, wow. I have a hard time with that one because I'm, I'm like, I will not uh, challenge the fate of the universe because <laughs> I have had enough dished out my way. <laughs> <laughs> that is too much for me to take on. You're brave. You're brave. You can do it. I am not that strong. I'll I'll be honest. I just don't. I don't feel like I can do that. But my, my, just one other thing um, is my other thing is you always take a negative and turn it into a positive. Yep. You you just you have to you yep. just have to find that positive and the negative there's always positives and the negatives and that's how we learn and become strong absolutely you know at the end of the day it ends up being a choice we've talked about this on our other shows we we just recorded a best of and it was the theme throughout all of it ultimately everyone that comes on the show makes a choice at some point through the trial to start whether it's digging out of a dark place whether it's making choices of perspective of how they're going to choose to view it, it all ends up being a choice. And that choice to start operating on looking for the positive or the meaning through the trial creates all of the differences in the world. Yeah. Jen, thank you for choosing to share your experience with us. Uh, Thank you for choosing that positive attitude when I imagine sometimes it's a choice you have to make several times in a day. To our listeners, thanks for choosing to spend your time with us, and we hope that you'll choose to share your story with us. We love hearing this variety of struggles and triumph that human beings all around us are going through, and we would love to be able to share your story. So if you are listening or you know someone who has an experience or challenge they might be willing to share with us, please reach out to us. You can find us on email at rrpodcast at ksl.com or on Facebook at Relentlessly Resilient and Instagram, Relentlessly Resilient Podcast. We'd love to hear your story and share it with our listeners as well. And remember, whatever you do today, remember to be kind. You have no idea the struggles others are dealing with in their lives. Have a great day.